Hello, everyone. Welcome to Ask a Coach with Ngomo. My name is Al Winans, and I'm excited to be speaking with Coach Joyce Joya today. And we're going to have a great conversation about how positive experiences drive relationships. Um, it's been a little while since we've done this podcast thing together, Joyce. So it feels like very um, old familiar turf, so to speak. <laughs> it does indeed, Al. It's great so to be with you here again. Great to have you here. So if you're using or if you're joining us live on LinkedIn, YouTube or Facebook, put your questions in chat and we'll try to address them here live during the show um, or afterwards in the comment section. If you're enjoying the show, click on the subscribe button in YouTube to get notified when new shows are available. So Joyce, again, welcome to the show. Thank you, Al. It's really great to be here with you again. So today we are going to chat about how experiences influence. And before we delve into that, however, um, share with me a little bit about your background, how it inspired you first to become a coach, but then also to write books before and now your new book, Experience Rules, How Positive Experiences Drive Profit into the Future. A long time ago, I realized that my greatest satisfaction came from helping people to, to actually see new perspectives and based on those new perspectives to change their behaviors mm. and to personally experience more of who they already were. I, I was able happily to accomplish that through writing and speaking and most and consulting and now most recently coaching that's not exactly true because i have been a coach on and off for many years but being a coach allows me to be more personal with people and to that it's that one-on-one -on -one exchange that that makes a big difference so I wrote the book because I saw something happening that no one else was talking about. Now, as you mentioned, this was my sixth book and it's my first solo book. And that's very exciting to me because I've co-authored a number of books and I've contributed to anthologies as well, but this is my first solo book. So mm. this was my exclusive personal baby. And in I, I, what I saw happening was that experiences were becoming more important. And it, it really all started back in, in the late 1990s when I saw that media was becoming more extreme, food was becoming more extreme. Yeah. And I wrote a, a Herman Trend Alert Incidentally, people can sign up for that at hermantrendalert.com uh, about, it, it was called experience junkies because I saw that we were becoming, we were needing greater and greater intensity in those experiences to basically engage us, to turn us on. And that combined with later seeing the advent of 
ex experience consulting in the employee engagement field, in the customer engagement field, in the investor relations field, I saw that something was happening that nobody else was recognizing. And that is that in spite of the fact that the experience economy, a book was written back in the 80s, I think, but it was it was really coming to the fore at that point that experience was coming into its own as being recognized as being the driver. And I, I thought that if it's important to engage our employees and our customers and in our, our investors, maybe it's also important to engage the other stakeholder groups, the other groups that have a vested interest in our success. And I started looking at how different companies were engaging those different stakeholder groups. And I came up with the fact that it was the families of employees and the families of customers and the communities and the suppliers and vendors and even the shareholders and all of those groups were important. And if a company was smart enough to engage all of them, then it was going to be optimally successful. And so that is what led me to write the book, Experience Rules. And you got the thumbs up of one of our viewers here. So congratulations on writing the book. So you are um, one of our coaches. And, you know, I, I will say something about the book. I've had the pleasure of reading it. I've had the pleasure of reading it, I think, since the first draft to the final draft. So I've <laughs> yes, seen it evolve and how time change. Also, I see the book change. So thank you for sharing that with me um, in, in lead up to today's conversation. So but before we delve into the whole aspect of experience rules, uh, you are one of the coaches on the Ngomu app. So I want to find out a little bit more about what your coaching community is about and what people are coached on, what can they expect. So what does that look like? The name of my coaching community is Experience Rules for Leaders, Transform Your Organization with Positive Experiences. And our members may expect two things from me in that coaching community. First, they may expect cutting edge information about what works for leaders today. And second, sometimes when we hear things, it, we're already doing them. And what that does, it just for us, is that it confirms that what we're doing is what we should be doing. And it's, it's kind of a reinforcement for us. So those are the two things that our members may expect from my coaching community. In fact, this coming Wednesday, day after tomorrow, from Columbus, Ohio, God willing, I'm going to be talking about leading toxic people. And uh, what I have come to, to do with this learning, with this coaching community is that I have evolved it to respond to the 
members who are in attendance. And I listen to what they say. I, I watch what they say. And I sort of read between the lines. And we've come up with some really interesting topics that do allow people to deliver those positive experiences, but also speak to the, the most important aspects of what's happening right now. Things like mental health and getting enough sleep and life work balance and all of those things that are really important for leaders to pay attention to today. And I can attest to it. I've been to, I think, most of your sessions, so and I've learned a thing or two. Um, so thanks, thanks for sharing that, Joyce. So if you are watching us live on LinkedIn, YouTube, or Facebook right now, feel free to share your questions in chat, and we'll try to address them during the program. If not, we'll do it in the comments after. So we've received some really great questions in advance of the program today. And so hopefully we have enough time to get through all of them, but um, I'm just going to start sharing those with Joyce and feel free to jump in. So the first question we got from, and I'm very happy this is from a place I'm familiar with, and I could pronounce it correctly, from Marlene, Marlene, I guess we would say here, in Tessanderlo, Belgium. Um, so as a company, we always did a brilliant job creating experiences for all of our stakeholders to connect, to provide value. We were very, we were very hands-on in person. So we're now struggling with this in the virtual environment. What can we do to drive experiences, engagement and relationships building in this in this virtual world? Sorry, I had to read that. <laughs> it's quite a question. It and, is. <laughs> and, and kudos to you, Marlene, for being brilliant at creating those experiences for all of your stakeholders, because there are very few companies that are already doing that. I'm going to make a suggestion to you that sort of doesn't talk about the virtual world, and then I'm going to talk about the virtual world. So first, if you can, now that we're pretty much out of COVID, go to see them. Have one-on-one -on -one conversations. One-on-one -on -one conversations are very, very effective. I have long held the belief that there is no substitute for two human beings sharing the same physical space. When we share the same physical space, there's an energy exchange that takes place. However, if you must stay virtual, ask lots of questions. Get them talking about themselves, their positions, their companies, their industries. Find out what's really of value and importance to them and build that into your relationship. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Joyce, for sharing. Thank you, Marlene, for that great question. Um, a question from Cara uh, in Pleasant Hill, Pennsylvania. How do you discover what experiences to create? I get the concept, but how do you make this scalable for a company? That is a really interesting question. Good one, Kara. So you have to find out first what people value. And you include that in the relationship. Now I'm going to tell you a little secret that will make your attendance at this podcast pay for itself many times over. And that is the key to adding value 
is to find out what you already have or can acquire for a small amount of money that has a high perceived value on the part of your audience and a low cost to you. And it is in that finding and that delivering what has a high perceived value that you're going to create the highest level of engagement. Now, scalability is a really critical issue because typically when it comes to experience rules, one size does not fit all. And yet that said, there are some generalizations that we can make, uh, particularly when we look at the difference in generations and look at the differences in the place that people are in their employee life cycle and where they are in their own lives. Because people's priorities change as they age and as they move through their lives and as they move through your organization from the first day to being long tenured employees with you. If you don't mind, Joyce, I have a follow-up question. When sure. you refer to when you refer to high value, low cost, do you have like an example of or two of that? Sure, I can give you a great example of that. Once upon a time, there was a company in there is actually uh, a, a a place in Lenox, Massachusetts called Kripalu. And it is a yoga center, and it's called the Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health. And it was run by Yogi Amrit Desai. And they had a catalog. This is back from my days of being a direct marketer. And they needed to find a way to help their best customers move beyond that $50 threshold because there were a lot of people who would buy $50 of, of merchandise from them and that was it. That was basically the ceiling. And I said, what we have to do is make it worth their while to move beyond that $50 threshold. And what we came up with together was to offer an exclusive, in this case, recording of a what, what they call, what, what is called a darshan. A darshan is a morning group teaching sort of class that the yogi provides to his disciples in the morning. And it was that special recording that was not available to buy in the in their store that made the difference. Thank you. Um, that makes that makes sense. Just basically giving something extra. It's it's something extra, but it's something that the people highly valued. And what did it cost them? Very little. What? Two bucks for the CD or something? And now you can do it even cheaper. 
because we don't have <laughs> CDs anymore. <laughs> yes, exactly. Now it's just the download. You got it. So next question from Ava in Trinidad, Colorado, just down the street from here. Said, I work in a highly commoditized market where price is the most significant factor in business decision, the significant factor in customers' decision-making process. Sorry. How can we pause, how can positive experiences drive profit in such a market? Hmm. Well, that that was a very interesting question to my previous coaching community. And that's why I did a coaching session to that very topic, selling against price. And uh, if members would like to, they can certainly go on my dashboard and take a look at that session because it's definitely worth listening to. I And the, the answer to the question is there, there are actually two keys. One I've already covered, but one is to recognize that the reason that people are asking you for a lower price typically is that they don't understand the value that you're delivering. Mm. And so you need to establish that your, your goods or services have a value that goes beyond the commodity. And what do I mean by that? It could be that they're looking for uh, better terms. It could be that they are looking for uh you to take the, the bulk and break it down so that it makes it easier for them to deliver to someone, to, to their customers. It could be that they're looking for something else that you have that you can add to, to that and it can really make a difference. Um, in that exchange of value. You know, everything in sales is an exchange of value. And the secret is for you as a salesperson, as an organization, to add so much value that they'd have to be crazy not to buy from you. And the way to find out how to add value is just to keep asking them, what is it that we can do? How can we work together? What is it that we have beyond lowering the price for someone for you that has a, a value to you that could be a value to you? We've got a nice comment from one of our viewers. So good choice. We provide value, not just a service or even outcome. So that's what I'm reading this off for the benefit of our listeners on the podcast. <laughs> so, Thank you. Um, so thanks for sharing that, Joyce. I think another another thing that I found important in sort of a commoditized industry, having a commoditized industry doesn't mean you don't have to have relationships. You still have to have relationships with people, which I think are sometimes forgotten about. Um, but um, next question from Aisha in Windsor, Canada. It's like, how can I ensure that my employees are aligned with the focus on positive experiences for our customers? And what are some strategies for creating a culture that prioritizes customer satisfaction? Ooh, that's two questions. 
Yes, it is. <laughs> so, uh, okay. So the way that we do that is we need to have our employees aligned with the why. It's really easy to overlook keeping employees in on it and just say, oh, just go do it. Put on blinders and just go do it. But mm -hmm. making sure that our employees not only understand the purpose of what they're doing, but also are aligned with the purpose of what they're doing and make that focus one of your values and ask them how they can make that focus live in their job. And then you're going to have buy-in and then you're going to have exactly what you are looking for. Let, let, me, let me give you a quick example of that. A few weeks ago, I, I had a volunteer job at a, an event that took place in California. And one of the things that the incoming participants to that event had to do once they had handed their forms in was to take a red dot off of their name tags and put it on a pad that was on the table. And this table had lots of little red dots on it. The people who were working besides me, the people who were working the table who were asking people to take the little red dots off of their, their name badges had no idea why they were doing it. Mm -hmm. And therefore, not all of them got taken off. So once they understood, ah, they said that makes a lot of sense. And it did. But the fact that they didn't know why they were doing it was an issue. And once they did understand, then they were much more vigilant about making sure that the red dot was removed from the badge and put on the pad. You knew I'm going to ask you, why was it for? You can't leave us hanging now. Why the red dot was transferring? <laughs> <laughs> the red dot meant that the form that they had in their hand had been successfully submitted to that table. You actually dropped out where it said okay. the red dot was meant to form and you dropped out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the red dot was meant to tell the organization that the individual had submitted, had successfully submitted the form to the table that it needed to go to. Ah, okay, that makes sense. You're wondering, you know, what's as even somebody online went, it's my question too. <laughs> sure. Sharing that. So uh, before we get to our rapid fire 10 questions, one last question from Eric in Las Vegas, Nevada. So how do you account for the fact that different customers may have different definitions of what constitutes a positive experience? 
and how can my business tailor my approach to meet the needs of my diverse customer base? <laughs> well, that's real simple. You ask them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Each customer has his or her own set of problems, opportunities, values, and attitudes. And when we sell to people, when we provide value propositions that take those things into account, we are going to be significantly more successful than if we treat, attempt to treat everyone the same. You may have a customer who has small children and that person might value time differently than someone who was older and single and didn't have much in his or her life besides work. So when we think about who is our customer and we actually tune into that and we are able to tailor our approaches to who the customer is, we're going to be a lot more successful. We're going to sell a lot more of whatever it is. It's interesting as you as you're sharing this here. I've had this experience come back in my head from my previous career as as a meeting planner, where we worked. We got to do these site visits for conferences and so on, where some of the venues did an incredible job. They sent you a little form, and you know what you like, what you don't like, you know, and they asked you. I mean, anything but your blood type, basically, to go in this form, yeah. and other venues would not. And then as you went to these venues to do a site visit, the ones who didn't ask you anything, they didn't really know anything about you. So they would try to impress you with things that didn't impress you, you know, or they'll, you know, it's like, oh, we have a steak dinner. Well, I'm a vegetarian, um, but you never asked me that I'm a vegetarian. So, so, you, so it's uncomfortable for everybody. While the ones who did an amazing job asking you in advance you know, hey, take five minutes of your time and fill out this whole form, which you gladly do, delivered an amazing experience, you know, and also you go like, why did they can do this for me? They can do this for my client, you know, so who's going to get the, who's going to get the account, you know, um, and it was not about what you got. It's basically these people listened and provided a service based on what they learned about you and so on. So, so I just wanted to throw that in there. Um, so thanks for sharing it Basic makes stuff, isn't it? such a difference. Yeah, exactly. And it takes minutes. And the forum was free. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so thanks for sharing that, Joey. So, so as, as, as you were going through this, you know, things change, technology comes in. So how do you mm -hmm. see, you know, the concept of experience, experience ruling, evolving, you know, in the future, what are there some amazing, some not amazing, emerging trends in, or they could be amazing, you know, trends and technologies that are coming out to impact, you know, this kind of uh, customer experience? Oh, it is amazing what is coming down the pike. And customers are going to uh, be buying in virtual reality, uh, eventually in the metaverse. Years ago, I, I had this vision that, and I, I came out of the direct marketing industry, that in order to buy from a catalog, people would climb into their virtual reality suits 
and they would go shopping and they would quite literally see in front of them because that's what they were accustomed to a row of products and they would be able to choose the product that they wanted uh, by simply a click or even maybe looking at it. And what is happening is that we are moving toward that world. Already, there are organizations that are using, a lot of them are using uh, augmented reality for training not only training their own people, but training their customers as well. They're, the, uh, the company, the corporation, Carnival, with its myriad of different cruise lines, used virtual reality to sell cruises through AT&T. So these things are coming they may not come tomorrow, but they are definitely coming. And with AI, wow. I mean, we are seeing things just really speeding up in a way that we had no idea that they would. I, I Even I had no idea that it would be the kind of snowballing that we're now seeing. That's true. So... What's the one thing I should have asked you but didn't? What is the, the one thing is, what is the most important thing in implementing the concept of experience rules? And the answer is engagement. Why? Because engagement is the number one aspect that drives profit. And Gomu realizes that. And as coaches, we are able to engage our members on our, our sites. They may ask us questions. They may, they may interact with us. And even in, during our coaching sessions, there is that engagement is very, very important. And Ngomu recognizes it. I, as a coach, recognize it by having lots of interaction with my members. I want to, I, I ask them questions, I get answers, and sometimes I get to read between the lines and ask them follow-up questions and find out what's really happening and what they, what they need to know and what they want to know in order to be the best leaders that they can be. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for the Ngomu plug. I appreciate it. <laughs> so as a reminder, you are watching uh, or you're listening later on here to Ask a Coach with Ngomu. And my name is Al Wynant. And today I'm speaking with coach and author Joyce Joya. If you missed our live stream here, you can ask you can catch Ask a Coach, that's a mouthful, with Ngomo Daily at 7 a.m. and 4 p.m. on Pacific Time on Radio Futures. You catch it always on our YouTube channel and Facebook and LinkedIn as well. So um, one of my favorite parts of the conversation is our 10 questions rapid fire style, Joyce. So are you ready for those? As ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> What's your life's motto? Life is about finding the joy in giving and serving. And the next question is great. What brings you joy? 
several things. Dancing, flowers, and watching people change with the insights that they learn. Mm. And somewhere on the internet, on Instagram, I think it is, there's a really great video of you floating around dancing somewhere in Dubai, I think it was. <laughs> yes, it is. So, you know, it's a very authentic answer. I was just having a blast. It it's too bad. I'm going to be, I'm going to be in Dubai uh, again this uh, it, next week, actually. And unfortunately, I don't think I'm going to be available on Saturday afternoon because I'm going to be tied up with a conference. Mm. But I, I was looking forward to going back to the same place and dancing with the young men again. <laughs> but there's video proof now. So, so what's, what's the last time you got really surprised? It was very recently. It was last Saturday night at a professional soccer game. I had never been to a professional soccer game. I went to see Austin FC against the Vancouver Whitecaps. And although the score ended up zero to zero, and I didn't know that that, that, that happened in professional soccer, but it does, uh, it was a very exciting game. And it surprised me how engaged I felt because when I think about sports, it just, it doesn't turn me on at all. But I guess what had sort of piqued my, my passion about it was to have attended some soccer games of my grandsons recently. So I knew more about the game than just uh, what I normally end up not knowing when I watch baseball and football and basketball and they don't, they don't ring my chimes at all. This one's over in two times 45 minutes. <laughs> so, <laughs> your morning can start without. Okay, so this is really interesting. I have, as a result of having worked with one of our Ngomu coaches and learning that it really helps the body to be on a, a schedule that is consistent. I get up every morning at 6.50, whether it's a weekend or a weekday. I work out. I spend eight minutes on my Beamer mat, which is a, a mat that sends electromagnetic signals into my body. And then I do something called priming with a friend on the East Coast. Now, priming is... Uh, it's, it's kind of a cross between meditation and visualization. And it comes from Tony Robbins. And my friend turned me on to it. And honestly, it just really sets up my day. So what do you do in your downtime? I like to play word games, uh, both by myself and with my husband. And I love to read. Uh, one of the things that I never got to do a lot when I was in my career, growing my career and being a workaholic was to read. So I now read. I now get to read for fun. <laughs> nice. What's your fondest childhood memory and why? My One of my fondest childhood memories is learning tango with my father when mm. I was 10. 
And the reason that it's a fond childhood memory is that my father was pretty much married to his profession as a physician. And he would give us tango lessons on Saturday afternoons after he saw patients in the morning and did his rounds and then came home for lunch. And then he would give us tango lessons and then he would go play cards or golf at the country club in the afternoon. We rarely saw our parents when I was growing up. What's the biggest challenge in your profession? I think that the biggest challenge is finding the right audiences for my insights because my insights are pretty strategic and mostly with the exception of uh, my work with Ngomu mostly appeal to the uh, pretty much the C-suite. What's the one thing you do every day that adds to your success? And that would be, as I mentioned before, it's priming. I thought so. <laughs> and I, I, it also helps that I drink my breakfast. I have a smoothie for breakfast every morning. No, I have to know. Is it like a fruit smoothie? It some is. Fruit thing? Fruit? Okay. It is. It's. It's. Um, and and I, I eat two meals a day. There's a lot of things that I do that are a little on the weird side, I guess. Um, it's a fruit smoothie. It doesn't have kale or spinach or any of those good green things in it. It has mangoes and black cherries and pineapple, and it has protein powder that's ridiculously expensive from a, a company called Metagenics. So, I mean, this is going to be an interesting question to answer after that, but if you could eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? I, right. One thing for the rest of my life would have to be vegetables because there's a, there's a wide latitude when you talk about mm. vegetables. And I really have, having become pretty much a vegetarian, I, I really have come to appreciate vegetables in a way that I never did growing up or as a child or even as a, an adult. So last question, please finish this statement. Leadership is. Hmm. Leadership is listening, serving, caring, and supporting. That's very nice. So thank you, Joyce, for sharing it with us today here. So share with our audience um, a way that people can get a hold of you. People can go to my new website, joycejoya.com. And they can also go find me on LinkedIn at Joyce Joya. Uh, and I... I look forward to seeing them on my Ingomu coaching platform as well in my Ingomu coaching session. Thank you, Joyce, for being here today and for sharing. I appreciate it. I've enjoyed it. I miss our weekly chats via the podcast from days gone by. <laughs> so, but um, 
We hope you enjoyed our program as well. And we'll see you again next week at 1 p.m. Mountain Time for our new episode, our next episode of Ask a Coach with Ngomu. And do check out the Ngomu app offering personal coaching for everyone. And you can find us at ngomu.com. So thank you everyone for being here. Make it a great rest of your day and we will see you soon.